Hey, if you got a Bible, meet me in Acts chapter 9, A-C-T-S, Acts, not A-X if you're new to the Bible. Uh, We are in part two of a series of messages called Adulting. The entire premise for this group of talks is that we have to learn how to grow up not just grow old. There is a natural human tendency for us as individuals to never want to take responsibility for any of our actions and any of our decisions. And if you're a parent, you've seen that firsthand. He hit me. She hit me first. Stop touching me. I can't tell you how many times I've had to tell my children, I didn't ask you a question, so I don't need a response. Just do what I'm telling you to do. Like, grow up. Unfortunately, I have found in my experience that this same childish attitude has invaded our spiritual lives as well. And I can't help but wonder if sometimes God isn't up in heaven going, I didn't ask you a question, so I don't need a response. Just do what I'm telling you to do. Last week, we talked about growing up in our prayers that God has actually invited you into a relationship with Him where He wants to talk to you and He wants you to talk to Him. And we just got to figure out how that works. And fortunately, He's given us a little bit of a manual on how we're supposed to do that and how He wants us to engage with Him. If you missed that message, I'd encourage you to go watch it online. But this morning, I want to talk to you about growing up in your purpose. I hope you know that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You might have surprised your parents. You did not surprise God. He wanted you here. And every time that God wants something done, a child is born. And so at the start of this new decade, I want us to make sure that we have the right understanding about what our lives need to be like and what our purpose needs to be. So let's get to work. Acts chapter 9, we're going to pick it up in verse 36 says, now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. Her Hebrew name was Tabitha in Greek, Dorcas. Same name, different, I mean, uh, different name, same person, you know. Finkel is Einhorn, is how that works. Uh, She was full of good works. Oh, it means uh, gazelle, by the way. Dorcas, Tabitha, gazelle. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there in Lydda, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Y'all are sitting there like that's just something you've seen on a normal basis. Like somebody didn't raise from the dead in your plane at cool. Like that's just something normal. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, I would think so. And many believed in the Lord. 
not in Peter, in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a Tanner. God, thank you for new life. Thank you for raising people from the dead, both spiritually and physically. God, we're asking you now to do what only you can do and speak to our hearts. Help us understand what this means for us today. Help us know how we can leave this place transformed. God, thank you for faithful being here with this place for six years. We're part of something that you're doing, not anything that we're doing. And we're thankful just to be on your team. Please bless us with another 60 years. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A few months after the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941, the U.S. government forced Japanese immigrants as well as Japanese Americans that, you know, happened to be of Japanese descent. They forced them to report to barbed wire internment camps. Fear often causes you to do uh, un reasonable things, make bad decisions. But that same year, uh, 1942, Bob Fletcher quit his job as a California state agriculture inspector in order to save some of the Sacramento farms that these interned Japanese Americans had to flee. As you can imagine, many of them lost their homes to bank foreclosures, to thieves, to squatters, and so Bob did something about it. I read about his story last August because at the age of 101, Bob passed away. And his inspirational story was recounted by Mary Sukamoto in We the People, A Story of Internment in America. Mary's story is significant because she was five years old when Bob saved her family's farm. And here's what she writes. Few people in history exemplify the best ideals the way that Bob did. He was honest and hardworking and had integrity. Whenever you asked him about what he did, he just said it was the right thing to do. I couldn't help but think, well, Bob, there's a lot of right things to do that get left undone. But I find Bob's story remarkably similar to Tabitha's. Both saw need, both sacrificed in order to fulfill the need. Nearly killed Bob, by the way. He was frequently harassed, called a Jap lover, Somebody once shot at him while he was working in one of the interned family's barns. Yet in 1942, he was able to turn the farms back over to the uh, Japanese-American families when they were released from these internment camps. All he asked for and all he took was half the profits of the grapes that he grew on the farms. The other half of the profits he gave back to the families. I would argue Bob was full of good works, kind of like how Tabitha was full of good works, kind of like how you're full of good works. You know, Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus in order to do good works. This can be somewhat perplexing because many Christians stop at being full of good works, but not Bob, not Tabitha. Our text says that Tabitha was full of good works that she completed, verse 39. Which means if you don't do the good works God has prepared for you to do, then you're just full. You're full of it. There's a lot of people I know that are full of it. I would 
ask you to consider in your own mind, am I full of it? Because you shouldn't be full of it. See, the, the problem with spiritual constipation is if you take in, but you never give out, you're just stuffed and bloated and sick. And if you just go to church, but you never do church, and if you just read the Bible, but you never do the Bible, and if you just go to group, but you never participate in the group, you see what I'm saying? You're full of it. You're full of it. God doesn't give you strength for filling. God gives you strength for doing. How long are you going to talk about one day? One day I'm going to start that business. One day I'm going to go back and get my degree. One day I'm going to start giving. One day I'm going to lose that weight. One day I'm going to do that project. One day Pablo Picasso is rumored to have said that only put off until tomorrow what you're willing to die having left undone. I would say that in this new decade, it's time for you to begin completing the good works that God has prepared for you to do. It's time for you to grow up, not just grow old. Here's what I want you to write down. The key to unlocking what God has put in your heart is understanding what God has put in your hand. The key to unlocking what God has put in your heart, these good works that He's prepared for you to do, is understanding what God has put in your hand. Isn't that what we read? What did God put in Tabitha's heart? Acts of charity. What did He put in her hand? A needle-pulling thread. Our girl Tabitha had a passion for fashion, and not just for fashion's sake, says she was passionate about helping the widows with their fashion needs. The difficulty for most people arises when they look at what's in their hand, they don't understand how it relates and connects to what's in their heart. And so they do nothing, and they're just full of it. I'd like to help these widows. I don't know what to do. What can I do? I'd like to feed these 5,000 people here on this hillside or who are hungry. All I've got is these five loaves and two fish. That's What am I going to do? I'd like to free these people from slavery here in Egypt and show Pharaoh the power of God that's in my heart. Well, what's in your hand? A staff? Basically nothing? Hey, Nehemiah, what do you, what's in your heart to do? Oh, I want to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and show the power of this city on a hill that God has developed. And what's in your hand? Cup to the king? I don't know. What am I going to do about it? You use what's in your hand. You use what God has put in your life. When you give it to Jesus, it's more than enough. doesn't matter what it is. Well, that's all well and good, Pastor, but how do we do that? I know what's in my hand. How, what, what is being a construction? I'm a farmer, you know, like what? Coach, what does that mean? How do I use what's in my hand to bring glory to God? Well, you do what Tabitha did. She only did three things. Here are some lessons from a Dorcas for... Dork, Dorcas, kidding, not Dorcas. You might jot these down. She gave what she could. Dorcas gave what she could. God's not calling you to do what I can do. God's not calling you to do what your neighbor can do. He's calling you to do what you can do. If God wanted Billy Graham in your job, He would have put Billy Graham in your job. But He didn't put you there. 
So do what you can do. Stop saying yes to everything you think you're supposed to do. That'll preach. You know how I know? Because you're doing that thing where you just stare at me, and I don't know if you're listening or not. Uh, You're not supposed to do everything. Did you know that? God prepares some good works for you to do. Every time you say yes to something, that means somebody else is going to say no. And you're robbing somebody of their blessing by doing something that you weren't ever supposed to do. You see what I'm saying? And you're potentially robbing somebody of what God wanted them to do. Because God gave everybody good works to do. Again, the problem arises when people do what they're, uh, they're not called to do. God didn't call you to do everything. What did Dorcas do? She made stuff. More specifically, she made tunics and other garments for widows. The better word translated there is tunics and cloaks. She made underwear and outerwear. This was important for widows because if they weren't dressed nice and they went out in public, people knew that they weren't being taken care of. Therefore, they're more prone to assault and shame. So Tabitha didn't give widows dresses. She gave widows dignity. It wasn't about the clothes. It was about concern and safety. Now, it's obvious that Tabitha would have had to have some means in order to do that, right? Ain't nothing in this world for free. She had to buy the fabric and the thread and the patterns, and the widows aren't going to be able to pay for that. What's that have to do with you? Well, in the words of Margaret Thatcher, no one would remember the Good Samaritan if he only had good intentions. He has some money, too. Somebody had to pay the bill there at the hotel and wrap the wounds up and bandages and all that. Most people in this room, by sheer fact that they live in this country, have money. Which, let me be clear, for the six years that this church has been going on, we have never been in need. We have always been very generous, and that's thanks to you. We just wrote a check for $5,657 to the Wichita Children's Home. Yeah. All we did was stand up here and say, hey, on the last Sunday, we're going to give the offering away, so make it a good one. And y'all did. And so we thank you for that. But I've never once stood up here and asked for anything or said, hey, here's what we need to do in order to make this happen, and never had you guys come through. You've always come through. So I might not be preaching to you, but I think what God asked me to tell you this morning is you need to examine your heart and ask, am I giving what I could? Because God doesn't look at the size of the gift. He looks at the sacrifice. Some of you, the 10%, that ain't a sacrifice. Maybe you should be given more. And far and away, the number one question that I always get by anybody that comes in about this church is, when are you getting a building? And so I'll tell you the same thing that I tell them. Whenever we can afford the building. Like, I'm, I'm not willing to just build a building for sake of building a building. Now, if you'll give the money, I'll write the check. You know, I'll build the building. You know, I know exactly what I want and what it needs to look like and how many square feet it needs to be and exactly where I want it to go. I'm just not willing to give up doing ministry in order to build a monument. You tracking with that? I mean, I, I, I want a building just as bad as the next guy. I'm just not ready to go into debt for something that gets used one day a week. So if you've got $5 million and you're ready to write the check, or you know somebody who does and you want to ask them for the money, we'll start construction tomorrow. But until then, let's give what we can while we can. It's actually point number two. Dorcas gave while she could. That is to say, you have a limited window of opportunity for giving while you're on this earth. And so if you're holding out on something, 
It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Guess we'll see if it pays off. Did Tabitha know on this morning that she was going to breathe her last breath? Do any of us? Death is many things. It comes in many ways. But it's almost always a surprise. Judging from the passion that these widows displayed, I'm guessing Tabitha didn't wait for her idea to take off before she gave. Sure, she could have said, well, widows, I've got this buyer, Calvin Klein, and as soon as he purchases some product, then I'm going to have the means in order to help you out. No, she said yes to the dress. Come on, somebody. Like, these are good. I'm, I'm doing my best up here. And she gave what she could while she could. She didn't wait for the right time, whatever that even means. And you need to know God's going to do what God's going to do with whoever God chooses to do it with, which means it's with or without you. And that should terrify you because one day you're going to have to stand before God and He's not going to ask you about that sin that you committed because Jesus paid for that on the cross and you're forgiven of that. What He's going to ask you about is all those good works that He prepared beforehand for you to do. And He's going to say, you know, hey, how did it go with that homeless guy? And you're going to say, what homeless guy? What are you even talking about, Lord? And He say, well, I prepared that for, forget about that. What did you do with the time that I gave you at New Anthem? What about the time I gave for you at work? What did you do with that raise I gave you? What did you do with that vehicle I gave you? How did you bless your family? How did you raise your kids? Make no mistake, God will raise somebody else to bless if you're not going to do your part. More importantly, God will raise up a different church to bless if New Anthem doesn't play its part. Now, my attitude's always been, we've made it this far. We might as well win, right? I didn't come here to lose. I didn't give the last six years of my life to pack it up now. Like Queen Esther, God might have brought us into the kingdom for such a time as this. Think about something else. Think about the night Mary walks into the room where Jesus is eating, shortly before He's about to be crucified. She breaks open an expensive bottle of perfume, begins washing Jesus' feet using the tears from her face because she understood what Jesus was about to do. And if she wouldn't have done that, Jesus never would have been anointed. What about Easter morning? The women were going to anoint Jesus. Yeah, but he was already risen. But because Mary sat at Jesus' feet while the disciples were fighting about who was going to be the one in charge, Mary was listening to when Jesus said, no, I've come to this earth to die, to forgive people of their sins. And when he hung on this cross, his feet smelled like myrrh because Mary gave while she could. In other words, don't miss your moment. One of the passages that most haunts me within all of Scripture is in 2 Samuel 11 when the author writes, at the time of year when kings go out to battle, David stayed home. You know what happens next. Her name's Bathsheba. Kings become fools when they don't know what to fight for anymore. And it haunts me because I don't ever want to lose my fight. Because when you lose your fight, you're just full of it. Full of it. Somebody once remarked that when you quit taking ground, you often go into it. That ain't going to be my story. As long as I'm here, that ain't going to be New Anthem's story. We've had a good six years. I'm praying for 60 more 
you think I say some crazy stuff now, wait until I'm 90, and I don't give a you-know-what, and I'll just start saying whatever comes to mind. Dorcas gave what she could, while she could, and number three, she received more than she gave. She received more than she gave. We can live in Jesus' name such big, beautiful lives that there will be people on this earth who are sorry when you die. Dorcas was so loved by her fellow disciples that when she died, they didn't bury her. They took her to an upper room and they called Peter. And you need to know there is zero account, no account of any disciple ever being able to raise somebody from the dead. Sure, we read about Jesus doing that. We read about Jesus raising a little girl from the dead. We read about Jesus raising his friend Lazarus from the dead. But that's a little different. That's the king of the universe, the author of life. We don't want to see any apostles being able to raise any from the, anybody from the dead. And yet, these people loved Tabitha so much that they heard an apostle was nearby. So they said, let's give it a shot. What's the worst that could happen? You know, she's already, you see what I'm saying? Let's see what he can do. And for whatever reason, God said yes to their audacious faith. What a surprise it must have been for Dorcas. It said that when you die, you go to the pearly gates. And who do you see? Peter. She left the pearly gates and came back to earth. And who did she see? Peter. And it's like, what in the surprise? And the principle still holds true. You can't outgive God. God's always going to give you more than you give. I'm giving these widows these cloaks and garments. God says, I'm going to give you your life back. I gave these people the five loaves and two fish, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls, one for each of them to take home. And Job had more kids and more, family, you know, more land, more livestock, second time around. Joseph went from slavery to the most powerful man in Egypt next to Pharaoh. And it doesn't matter if it's food or money or political significance. If you give it to God, God's always going to give it back with more. In fact, he says, test me on this, Malachi 3. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there's going to be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there's not even going to be enough room for you to store it. My experience, most people are convinced, but they're not committed. They're convinced that that passage is true, but they're not committed enough to try it. But God's the one who said, test me in this. Laura and I have just always decided that we're going to test him in this. Every single year, we give more than the year we gave before. You know what's happened? Blessing. We've always had enough. Like, how does this keep coming out? Over and over, God always comes through. Because God says, you're going to reap what you sow. And if you ain't sowing good seeds, then you ain't going to reap any good fruit. And if you want to understand your purpose, then start testing God in your purpose. See if God isn't faithful in bringing you to the place where you need to be. Because think about this. Peter received more than he gave too, right? If you know your Bible, you know the very next chapter. 
Cornelius of the Italian cohort, an army man, has a vision. He's not a Jew, mind you. An angel shows up to him and says, go get Peter from where? Joppa at Simon the Tanner's house. Well, that sounds familiar. Where did I just read it? Oh, right at the end of this, where it says that Simon went and stayed with Simon the Tanner. And meanwhile, Peter's up on this roof having a vision from God about how the gospel of Jesus isn't just for the Jew, it's also for the Gentile. And then Cornelius shows up says, hey, I need you to come with me. And then this whole Christianity thing just blows up across the world. And all that because Tabitha was faithful in completing good work. So when she dies, God brings Peter to Joppa to stay at Simon the Tanner's house. Here's my point. You have no idea what God is orchestrating behind the scenes just because you're faithful in completing good works. So a couple of things to think about as we close. While we're supposed to be in this season of prayer and fasting, I would encourage you to really pray over your purpose. Have your family pray over your purpose. and Have your group pray over purpose. What's God calling you as an individual and as a family and as a group to start being and doing? Don't just be full of good works. Do good works that you complete, because here's why. Write this down and then we're done. Without purpose, good things will always hinder you from best things. Why is understanding your purpose such a big deal? Why is understanding what God has put in your hand such a big deal? Because without purpose, without that understanding, good things are going to distract you and hinder you from best things. And good things can rob other people of their blessing because they're not getting to do their best things. You want this decade to be the best? Unlock what God put in your heart by understanding what God put in your hand and how you can make a ministry out of it. Give what you can, while you can, and I promise you God will always give you more than anything that you gave out. He said that, not me. Test Him in this. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness throughout the history of this church, throughout the history of the world. You've always come through. God, there are many heavy hearts even in this room now, and I understand that, but I also know that you have put good works in people's heart for them to do. That when they do the things that you have put in their heart, they'll always get something back always more than anything they gave. So God, I'm asking you now to speak in such a powerful way that each person can leave here knowing that it was you who was speaking to them. Help them understand what they need to say yes to, what they need to say no to, or good things are robbing them from best things. And by them saying yes, somebody else is saying no, and they're not doing the good works that God has prepared for them to do. Help them discern how you're leading their life, what it is that they need to give. Help them understand where they need to be sacrificial in their giving, that it should cost them something because it cost your son his life. And the only natural response to that is to give in return for what you gave. 
Jesus, we're thankful for the gift of your life. That you lived a life that we couldn't live. That you died a death that was meant for us. Jesus, forgive the sin that we have in our heart. Forgive the places that we've fallen short, not lived the purpose that you've had for us. Help us unlock what you've put in your heart in our hearts. Help us love you more now than we did when we came in this place. We praise you, we thank you for this free gift of salvation through your son Jesus. And it's in his beautiful name that we pray. Amen.